Well, thank you, Ruth, and hello, everyone. Uh, I'm recognizing names here, uh, Katie and Susan, uh, Nate. So uh, thanks for joining us and continue to put your information in chat so we can check that as we go. And so today, uh, Gene Krebs and I are gonna be talking about policy issues. We uh, wrote this book, Bridges Cross Every Divide, after we had a little adventure together uh, working on um, a piece of legislation, uh, that's the right word for it, Gene. Yes. Where we got $11.5 million uh, from uh, from the state to start uh, collaboratives and and uh, groups that work on uh, problems in the, in the uh, counties. It's basically uh, based on bridges. And because we did, had a lot of, at times to meet with legislators and Gene introduced us to all kinds of people. And we were able to uh, persuade them to, to do startups kind of based on the Bridges model. Uh, 21 counties uh, shared $11.5 million and uh, 10 of those were actually uh, Bridges collaboratives and another eight had Bridges membership in the collaboratives. So, it was one. It was money, uh, one-time money, and uh, so people used most of it to uh, build infrastructure and get lots of training done, and so on. So that was uh, uh, Gene and I uh, begin to think. Well, you know, maybe it's time to work on policy issues. And I've been at this for 20 years, and have kind of resisted uh, getting into it because I was afraid that bridges would get branded to either the left or the right, and we didn't want that to happen. And now um, you'll hear from us about how we have crossed the, the political divide along with the others, but uh, it turns out the people on the left and the right both like uh, working on issues of poverty and strengthening communities. And so uh, now we want to be able to do this in a systematic way. And I think the way we advertised this was ready, fire, aim. And sometimes uh, we go at policy that way just reacting in a sense. And what we'd like to do is uh, suggest to our bridges communities and to others that we actually uh, have an intention and we go at this in a methodical way so that we can get that in the proper order and, and be more effective because we aren't just reacting to one uh, issue here and another issue later. So that's what this book is about. So I'll uh, let Gene introduce himself and, uh, and then we'll find out about you by going to uh, some polls and we can find out what all of us are about. So, Gene? Well, hi, this is Gene. And uh, I uh, would jokingly say that I am president of the Ohio Association of Recovering Politicians. That, um, the, and I'll just uh, put it really briefly. Um, uh, in the, since I've left the General Assembly, I was there for eight years. And when I was there for eight years, I had 10 bills passed into law. And after I left, I've also had 10 bills passed into law with no campaign donations, no PAC. So there's a way you can do it. And for those of you, we are now uh, at the Bridges um, universe. We've now hit that level where we're now, we now begin to recognize that certain programs by the government that actually create greater pro problems for those we're trying to serve, for example, the benefit cliff. And you're only going to deal with the benefit cliff by changing policy. And we go into and explain how to do that relatively easily, relatively simply. But if think of it as a recipe, you're baking a cake and you need to have all the ingredients involved. So with that, I'll turn it back to Phil. We'll tell you, we'll tell you how to bake this cake. <laughs> uh, who knew it, it would be a, a baking class? Yes. <laughs> the Great Ohioan Baking Show. <laughs> uh, stop with the metaphors. Okay, uh, Ruth, let's uh, let's put up the the polls and and we can see what's going on around uh, with the group that we have in uh, with us today. All right, there's a poll on your screen, and we would like you to vote. Uh, what's going to happen is Ruth will uh, know when these are filling up, and then she'll give us 
the results to look at. And Ruth, everybody can see the results, am I right? Yes, they'll be able to see the results, right. Okay. So I have about half of you that's voted. We'll wait just a little bit more, longer. Okay, so let me share. There you go. Okay, so everyone can see that, right, Ruth? Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we have 86%, um, wow, so we know about uh, bridges, that's good to know, um, and have used them in the workplace. That's, uh, that's really a high percentage, I think, for a, a group. And uh, we're part of a collaborative, all good, um, 43%, wonderful. Let's see the next poll. Let's see the next poll. Okay, we're ready for your vote. You can select more than one if you would like. We should have had one on there uh, that said, what is a briefing book? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. Well, we have 7% have 14%, uh, 21%. Everybody's saying they're interested in developing a briefing book. So, Okay, that tells us, doesn't it? Yeah, so. Actually, I didn't know it, what a briefing book was until I met Jean. Yeah, so 83% uh, wow. are interested in a briefing book. Same. All right, so the next poll is what sector do you work in? And this one goes again across two, uh, two polls. So if you don't work in any of these, we will show another one in a bit. You can wait. And, you know, you can check all that apply, too. So yep. I'm, sure, I'm sure you guys do quite a bit. So 67% in government, 33% in reentry so far. Ah, here we have 25. I'm going to close this one and show you the results. Okay. 50% in government, 25% in housing, 25% mental health, 25% post-secondary, 25% re-entry. Right. Good to know. Then I will do the next part of that, little continued. Banking, courts, education, faith-based, first responders. So... Okay, I'm going to close that one and share those results. So 33% in banking, 33% education, 83% faith-based. And we have one more poll. This is about policy and changes as you work with the bridges material. Thank you for participating. All right, I'll just give you a few more seconds. Okay, I'm gonna close that and share it. So 86% have made changes in their own personal behavior. 86% have made organizational changes and 29% have made changes at the state level. Wow, we have a pretty accomplished group here. Uh, it's going to be fun uh, talking with you about this, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, have – the goal is to have some time at the end for discussion and questions. So uh, we'll kind of hustle through our slides and get the ideas out there, and then uh, we, we want to hear from you. So we'll speed along. Uh, so here's uh, – all right. There we go. All right, so uh, what's the goal of our book? Uh, well, it's to prove, I have to move this over so I can see what I'm talking about. Uh, Henry Adams wrong. He's the grandson and great-grandson of uh, US presidents. And he said, politics is a systematic organization of hatreds. And of course we reject that. But what's really interesting is that when we talk to Bridges communities about uh, what they, they are doing, we found out that there are conservatives and liberals both working on this and in the in communities together. And that was so reassuring because I kind of sensed that to be the case. 
but to find it out uh, during those interviews was, was really great. So uh, there is an urgency about this. And, and the urgency is that it is still really hard to get out of poverty. And, and so we see getting ahead graduates actually doing what they need to do. They're making all kinds of big changes in their own lives and thinking and behaviors and pursuing their uh, future stories and their, their smart goals. Uh, we see the institutions making changes. We see the communities doing some of that. But the, the uh, impact, uh, we need to do it all. And so it's, uh, it's so difficult that we really must uh, take this uh, with a different sense of urgency than we have in the past. So, so here's the background. Uh, it sounds like most, almost all of you know about this. Uh, Ruby's book, A Framework for Understanding Poverty, came out in uh, the mid-90s. Bridges Out of Poverty uh, was written by Ruby, uh, Terry Ducey Smith, and myself. And most uh, of you that have, are on this call are very familiar with that. That was the foundational piece. Um, in that one, we introduced the idea that organizations need to make changes and communities do too. But it's taken uh, some time for us to really get to the place where many of you are, according to the polls that we just did. Uh, getting ahead and just getting by world is uh, how we share that bridges language with people who are in poverty. And, and then the bridges to sustainable communities is, I, I kind of laugh about this, but I think it's true. It's the book that we use for the leaders in the community. And so when we talk about uh, a common language, uh, I think that's what makes our initiatives so powerful is that no matter who's using our work, uh, whether it's uh, in employment or reentry uh, or post-secondary, we are all thinking of poverty and uh, our, our concepts and ideas become a common language so that we are focused on these things and can and be and create learning communities we're all coming from the same place. I've seen lots of collaboratives uh, put together where people want to move the dial in their community on a variety of things. But if you don't have a common language and everybody's thinking of poverty in a different way and pursuing it, you know, in, with different strategies that don't exactly line up. So I think our common language is really helpful. So the Bridges movement, our vision, and it turns out to be our reality, is we're bringing people together from all classes and races, sectors and political persuasions to address all causes of poverty and build communities where everybody lives well. Uh, here, here's where we are now. Uh, our work is being used in 47 states and six countries and the sectors that you see here. Um, I've been communicating quite a bit recently with the folks in Slovakia and they, are, they continue to do this work over there. And uh, they've actually uh, written a book about how to address poverty. And much of that book is talking about how they use uh, the Bridges work. So uh, this, Gene loves to use this phrase, telling people what to do is like pouring water on a rock. And those of you that are familiar with getting ahead know that, that um, we don't tell people what to do. Uh, we uh, investigate things and allow people to make their own arguments for change. And when we're talking with people in the Bridges communities, we operate on the law of attraction. So we lay out the ideas. And if you like this, join us and then use the ideas. So we have the common language, apply the concepts where you are. And just from the polls, we can see you've already, already done that. So we have this comprehensive approach. And we want to build a local, state, and nation nationwide uh, learning communities, which we have informally, and we have some things like this webinar that are you know, an indication of we're part of our learning community right now. And so we want to get better and better at, uh, at uh, the work that we do, and, and sharing with you is part of it. This is our methodology. Everything below the dotted line comes from the books and trainings that come out of our process. Everything above the dotted line is done in a relevant way where you are in the sector that you're in. And this it all goes to the idea about innovation. And so it, the wonderful thing about this is that people do things that we could never have imagined when we first wrote those books. 
And now we're learning from those communities. We have to go to our national conference to figure out what people are doing. So uh, this is the joy of the work from my point of view is seeing all the wonderful things that people do and then, and then seeing the, those ideas spread. Now this model comes from the book uh, that Jean and I worked on. And the page number is in the bottom right-hand corner. So if you happen to have the book, you can know where to find this. But this is an expansion of that, that mental model. So let me just show you the parts of it. In the middle is the common language. Around that are, is, are the policies that we form, uh, personal policies, and you know how we behave with our, within our own personal uh, interactions with people. Then there's our institutional changes. And then there's the community changes, the sector changes. So the blue arrows are about the learning community shifting information back and forth between each of these sectors. They're all connected with little arrows all the way around, meaning they do interact with each other at the community level. They also interact through the uh, bridges work that happens uh, through so these kind of webinars and national conferences and phone calls and so on. So we have this exchange going on of learning and, and uh, interacting with each other. The thing we need to do where you see that circle on policy is begin to uh, do more of that. So that's our model that tries to express uh, how all of this uh, fits together. Now, I like to talk about the thinking tools that we have and you're all familiar with our mental models of class and these analytic categories. So uh, we think of uh, people in poverty as problem solvers. We think of the middle class as problem solvers and also uh, the wealthy folks. But when we're talking about policy, are we bringing them all together? When we talk about how concrete life can be for people who are in poverty and how they're separated from the abstract world because of the tyranny of the moment. And I'm sure you all know what I mean. Our policies have to be able to deal with the concrete life and, and, and make life stable enough there so that people can get to the abstract. So there's more time for it. If life is very unstable, one of our, any time we talk about policy, it should be about making life more stable. When we talk about time, it's about giving people the luxury of the long view by stabilizing the world and making it less concrete. So financial uh, stability, uh, that's another goal, right? So it's not just about money, but there's so many things that when we're thinking about policy, that we can use th these simple things as sort of like indicators of whether our policies are making sense or not. And again, are you powerless or powerful or, at, or, at, or, or are you at the planning table? This you're familiar with, these are our 11 resources. And so any time that we're talking about policies at any level, we should be raising resources because that our definition is po poverty is about not having these. And so every policy that we pass has to pass this test of being able to raise the resources. And here's this great tool that comes from Jody Farr, which is the difference between getting ahead and getting by resources. And this is a way to test another test for policies that you propose or that others propose. Are we about helping people get out of poverty or are we maintaining them in poverty? And so these are the kind of things we can take to our communities and think of these as uh, ways of testing the policies we dream up and that others dream up. This one you're familiar with too. Uh, these are the four areas of research and anything that we do when it comes to policy making should be run through this test. And that would be, is there, are there things that people, individuals can do to make a difference? Are there, uh, what can happen in the community to impact this topic? Uh, what could happen around issues of exploitation around this topic? And then of course, political economic structures. So here's an example. And you may, you may have heard this before, but in Muskogee, uh, Mary Hicks, uh, as an individual at the community level, if you run your eye down to the community row and then you run across the columns, Mary Hicks found out that, um, or she went to the city water department and said, there's a problem the way the fees are being done 
because uh, I couldn't pay my bills on time. You turned off my water. That means I have to pay a, uh, to have it turned back on and then I pay a fine. And I, I move more frequently than middle class and wealthy people do. So every time I move, there is a turn off and turn on fee. And she brought this up and it got the attention of the people there uh, at the city offices who were trained in bridges. And they heard what she was saying. So here's a getting a graduate bringing up an issue. And she's doing what she can do in her life. You know, she's gotten a degree. She's working hard. The job she has doesn't pay enough. So she's doing what she can do. So they take this problem of the water fees and they investigate it. And over a period of close to two years, it took them to develop a fair process. And the reason that we talk about fairness is that they discovered that of the $1.4 million that's raised as a form of revenue from water fees in Muskogee, uh, most of that was taken from the poorest people because they move the most, then they can't pay. Uh, if they don't pay, there's a fine. All of this added up to them paying the vast majority of that $1.4 million. And people could see at a glance that that wasn't fair, but it was a major form of revenue for their city. So it took them a while, close to two years, but they all came together as a community, which is the second uh, column, individual column, human and social capital in the middle, and then exploitation. This was a form of exploitation because they were turning the poorest folks into a source of revenue. And these kind of fee structures are all over the place. Once you start looking into it, our cities and counties are making so much money off of the poorest people. So when you look at the political economic structure, they address that at the, at, at the city level. But what we would now say is look at the other cities in Oklahoma, and this happens to be true, most of them are using this fee structure. So if you imagine 17 counties out of the 77 in Oklahoma coming together with their Bridges Collaborative, and they bring getting head graduates like Mary Hicks, and they bring the other people that are trained in Bridges that are supporters of it, that are active in the work and using it in different sectors, and they come together and they say to their legislators locally, this is important to us. And then there's 16 other counties that could be making that case. And then you go to the state legislative body. We think that that's a more organized, structured way, you know, than the way we typically go about it. So we want to be able to do that in, in our states and build more and more bridges collaboratives and then act together as we address poverty issues. So who's gonna tell us what the barriers are? Well, find out from getting head graduates. This is a study that Beth Waller did. Here's 16 things in the order that those people listed uh, the, the barriers. Now, Mary Hicks came and talked about water fees. That's not on here, right? Uh, so people will, will, we need to access people who are experiencing all of this and go straight to them for the information. So here in Ohio right now, we're setting up focus groups uh, with returning citizens that are getting head graduates and family members of, of uh, re returned citizens so that we get direct information from them of what the process was like from being stopped to being arrested to sentencing to being incarcerated and then finally to reentry and find out on that continuum what the barriers are that they name. And then again, bring as many people together from across Ohio through our Bridges com communities to address this at the state level, much more organized than just acting alone. So these are the tools that I've already talked about. Uh, this, these are, um, there's a whole list of these on page 91, 92, 93 in the book. And uh, what you're going to see here is just a whole bunch of ways of thinking about policy so that we just don't leave anything out, that we do a thorough job of an analysis. So I just picked some of them off to these pages just to talk about. We've already talked about stability. Um, what about the demand on time, money, mental bandwidth, and, and time horizon? There are, our institutions are famous 
for creating barriers that are troublesome to people just to be able to find their way through our systems. And those don't reach the level of the legislators, but they certainly are a city county kind of issue that could be addressed. So uh, there's the resources you can see at the bottom on this list. Are we providing a safety net? Are we maintaining people in poverty? Uh, are we helping people get ahead? So you remember that particular visual version of this. Uh, do you have the proper mix? Because we do need a safety net, you know, and then we do need a ladder too. So these are verbal uh, representations of images or mental models I just shared with you. So uh, this is more from that list. Uh, the issues of equity uh, are, and inclusion are really important. And you know what we have in Bridges? We have a way of accessing uh, people with all of this information and making room at the table for them. We can be inclusive. We know that they need to be at the table. And so that's one of the things that we can really bring to policy issues. Uh, just an example of that reentry piece in Ohio. We can access recovering and returning citizens and their family members. And, and we can set up focus groups with them really easily because they've already been through getting ahead and know how that works. So um, here is a decision tree. And uh, this one is, uh, as you can see on page 190 in the book, on the, the first step is to identify a problem. The second one is to go, can we deal with it as an individual? If it could be dealt with by individuals and it's easy to do, no problem. But if, it, if you can't really, uh, if the problem is just gonna be there forever and every single person has to deal with it, that's not effective. So what kind of institution is, institutional changes can take place? And that's step number three. And you make changes at the institution. If you can't find a solution there, you go to the community and that's the purple one, step four. And then the blue one is aiming at, okay, what needs to happen at the state level? So we can, what we really want to emphasize is I think that sometimes we just want the individuals that are struggling with these problems to answer the problem themselves. But we can be much more innovative if we realize that if we really want to deal with the problem, we have to move up this decision tree to find the right place to have the right amount of impact. So the story that is told here is of cascade engineering and the things they did around the barrier of transportation. So we try to you know, include the stories and illustrate these points as we go along encouraging people to think in a logical way. So I'm gonna turn it over to Gene and uh, he's, he's the guy that, uh, that showed me that working on, on political issues is all about relationships, like everything else we do. Gene says there's 5,000 people in uh, Ohio that make a difference, and he knows half of them. And I believe that, and I think that we've been stopped and talked to them on the streets of Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> every time we go down there, we have to stop every block and talk to three people. So here's Gene. Well, thank you, Phil. Um, and um, uh, one of the key things I do is, um, of course, I utilize those of uh, those five thousand people who run Ohio. Half of them are on my LinkedIn account, and so I'd like to encourage all of you who are um, uh, watching the webinar here to go ahead and um, link. If you're not already linked in with Phil and myself via LinkedIn, please go ahead and do so. And I'm also on Twitter along with Aha, and so I would urge you to. Um, uh, Follow AHA on Twitter and follow myself on Twitter. So going to leverage. So it was Archimedes who said that if you give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum strong enough, I will move the earth. On a certain Tuesday in November, all of us pull a lever. Now, the lever we pull on those election days, it's not a very long lever. But if, if a whole lot of Americans or people in your state or in your city or county or community decide to pull the lever, for particular candidates or on particular issues, you can actually begin to move. But the question is, how do you get a longer lever and a bigger fulcrum? That's what this that's what this is all about here. So, and I'm going to the next slide, and it did not go. Bill, can you move? There we are. Oh, back up one. So, 
Ah, there we are. So how do you get more leverage? You develop relationships, lunch, coffee. Keep in mind that if you drank as much coffee as what you recommend, as what we recommend in the book, you would not be able to physically sit here and watch any of these webinars or much less hold a cup of coffee. You have to shake so bad. Much of what you're going to see in the next few slides is an algorithm. And what inspired me to do this algorithm was the book Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, who won a uh, Nobel Prize on this. And it's um, um, that you, what you need to do is not use subjective analysis on how to be effective. You want to create numerical structures, a point system. How do you do that? And then um, uh, be able then to base your effectiveness and then know where you need to work more. Okay. Um, so for your, and keep in mind that uh, your first one is your efficacy sufficient, your people score, the number of regions in the state or city helped by your idea. Every state, every city has a north side, south side. You may have downstate, upstate, but you need to get the majority of your regions in your city, county, or state who will benefit from your concept. The number of majority legislators killing the, carrying the bill, one per each chamber. The number of agency heads who quietly support your bill. And what that means is that you need to have people running your um, human services agencies at your county level and in some of, you, some of your states at your city level too who are familiar with the bridges getting ahead methodology. That means you want to make sure they have been invited to go through training. They've invited you've been invited to your facilities. Okay. And you want to start that now. You don't want to wait until they go to the agency. You want to begin to just cast your bread across many waters because you just don't know. But you want to be, you want to start developing, thinking about who will be the next agency heads, not just of this city, mayor, county commissioners, or governor, who will be it in the next, in the next iteration. The number of years you've had lunch, and this is at least once a year, with the gatekeeper legislator. That's the legislator who will be the person who can give a thumbs up or thumbs down to your issues, whoever it is that is involved in the uh, human services issues. The number of years you've had lunch with the governor multiplied by five. Now, I know for many of you, it's going to be very hard to know because one of the things we outline in the book is that you ideally want to have gone to kindergarten with either the president or the governor of your state. Now, that's hard to always know who that person is going to be when you're five years of age, okay? But you want, you want to begin, once again, to identify these people early and um, uh, um, reach out to them early and be nice to everybody. The dollars in millions the state will save by passing your idea, limit 10. Now, $10 million is enough to get their attention, but you need to have your ducks in a row as you do this. Um, is your advocacy sufficient? Funding or policy areas where your idea will impact, select all that apply and multiply by three. The only place we should have silos in America is on our farms. And you want to make sure that whatever it is you're doing can bridge across the many policy silos. Welfare reform, drug abuse, workforce development, the impact of automation on jobs. And by the way, there's been studies out there that say that by about 2030, we're going to see about half of jobs in America evaporate due to automation and artificial intelligence. Local government, how's your ideas impact upon that? Tax reform, okay? Transportation issues, especially transit, getting, getting workers. This is where it comes back into workforce, okay? Because the transportation issues is often one of the biggest hindrances to getting a getting people to their jobs effectively in a cost-effective manner. And then finally, education. Your advocacy is uh, su sufficient, your experience scores. The number of times in the past year you've been in to sit down the editorial board of the area newspaper. Now, the mainstream uh, media does not have the same power it did 10 years ago, but it still has a huge amount of power and you do want to sit down with them if possible and the editors and say, hi, this is what we're doing. Ask them to tour. 
make sure you reach out to the um, uh, reporters. Number of times in the past year you've had an opinion piece, including a letter to the editor, published in your area newspaper. When you get ready to do this, please be aware that most newspapers have a very strict limit on the number of words. I've seen it as low as 650 words for an opinion piece. I've seen it as high as 750. You need to find out, and it doesn't matter how brilliant your 753-word piece is, if they only take 750, those other three words are going to kill you. So you have to be within their limit, and you need to actually, in my opinion, be at least 10 to 15 words below that because the editors would like to add maybe a couple words to clarify that. The number of times in the past year you've appeared on a regional radio talk show or interviewed by a radio news reporter, okay, once again, reach out to them, get a hold of them. Anytime you're listening to the radio and you hear somebody reporting on um, um, uh, poverty issues or issues related to poverty, workforce, or whatever, contact that reporter and say, hi, we run this agency facility uh, program, and we'd like to invite you to come in for a tour and meet some real people. Okay, especially if they're national public radio affiliated. Why? Because the what what in the book what we call the NPR GOP is a swing group of voters, and the swing group of voters is the one that the politicians really covet. So if they can swing, they've got that thing, and you really want to appeal to them. The number of times in the past five years you've organized these on-site meetings with officials, and that means your city council, mayors, mayor staff, county commissioners, state legislators. Get them on. Get them in there. Let them see what you're doing. Uh, ask them if they're if they've already read the books. If they're already familiar with the programs, ask them to say a few words at a graduation ceremony for getting ahead. Okay, get them embedded into it and also ask them to do a they oftentimes will do a simple proclamation recognizing graduates. So you want to ask them to do something like that. The number of copies of the candidate or legislative briefing book handed out. Divide that by 100, limit 10. Here's the reason why. Because a candidate briefing book or a legislator briefing book or an elected official briefing book is a nonpartisan means to go ahead and accurately send to your um, uh, ruling folks in your community what it is that you do with data, human stories, and concrete requests for how to improve things. This is where you get into policy. In the book, we go into a lot of detail on how you create those things, and Phil and I be uh, uh, actually happy to help you with this. Just contact AHA process, and they can, they can take you through all that too. But that's the key thing. I've helped I've helped create three separate ones of these. They have been incredibly helpful and beneficial uh, at the state level, local official level. I've helped to do it for a uh, government agency. A government agency can do one of these as long as you keep saying in throughout the whole thing, this is nonpartisan, we are a government agency, we're not taking sides, this is just for informational purposes. And you can go ahead and ex explain to people then very, very well, use lots of graphs, oh, and footnote everything. Why do you want to footnote everything? Because if a candidate or elected official uses your data points in a speech, they will often be challenged by the media, by an opponent. And if they have a footnoted documentation in this briefing book, they have an affirmative defense. So now, so you run up all this score, and if you, and if you have, and by the way, everything I've gone through there, um, is has three or four paragraphs at least in the in our book about how you develop these things. It's um once again it's a recipe. It's how you bake a cake. So if you score a hundred or more, you can you can do the webinar yourself too. Uh, Seventy five to a hundred, you will almost certainly get your policies through. At fifty to seventy five, you see where you might be lacking, and if you're below fifty, keep working at it. 
But at the end of the day, what we want you to do here is utilize the briefing book as another source of uh, how to create the data and use the data to get your ducks in a row. So with that, we'll go with it. And this is how you, this is a photo of getting your ducks in a row. And as you can see, uh, you get your ducks in your row up there with food. Um, now I do want to mention one important thing. And I'll leave you with this one thought, which really does sum up a whole lot of this. When you are um, asking elected officials out to lunch, what you want to do is you want to take them to a restaurant that show that has a um, that offers breakfast all day. Why? It's inexpensive. It's filled full of ordinary people. Okay. You want to take with you two other people from your organization. A board member who may know this person from socially, okay, and maybe a getting head graduate or somebody else, you know, from from uh, that that your organization has worked with. You have the elected officials sit on the inside seat of the booth. You do not ever allow them to sit at a table or on the outside outside because as everybody walks by that they know, they will get up and want to shake their hands. You have spent eleven dollars and seventy-one cents on this on these pancakes, and you're going to get your money's worth. And the other reason then is to always go to a breakfast place like this is because it is full of ordinary people. Never take them to the club. Never take them to the country club or anything like that. Go. Never take them to a fancy restaurant. Take them to an ordinary place with ordinary people. And as you can see from the photo, you get your ducks in your row with two buckets of feed at the top of the photo. Thank you very much, and Phil and I will be here to answer any questions for you. And as long as Phil keeps laughing at my jokes, I'll keep going at them. <laughs> so uh, now we can open it up to questions. And uh, Ruth, can we unmute people and and let them talk to us? Could we do that? That would be great. I'm sure try to unmute people, but if the background noise is too much, then we'll probably have to mute it back. People yeah. are unmuted. Okay, what kind of questions do you have for Phil and Jean? You can put them in the chat, or if your audio is open, you can ask them as well. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Katie, yes, Phil laughs every time, Gene, and so do I. Yeah, I, that's because I only have five jokes, and I just keep on reusing all of them uh, all the time, but thank you. Oh, and I saw where Phyllis said she's going to order the book. If you like the book, uh, one of the things that I'm encouraging you, because when you go – look, I've, I've been involved in, in you know think tanks, 501c3s. And I know that when you go out and you deal with policy, sometimes your board is going to go, oh, you're dealing with policy. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you can, if you have the funds, make sure that you get at least a copy of the book to your board chair, to next year's board chair. And if you have the and encourage all the board members to buy a copy, it will make your life easier because now they'll understand why you're doing the things that you're doing. The other thing you'll find in the book is uh, another description of uh, how bridges works. So it's a shortcut. Uh, you know, the Bridges Out of Poverty book is one. The Sustainability book is another. And this is uh, trying to write. This was really hard for me because I'd been over this material so much. But try to put this in uh, chunks that they could uh, grasp uh, quickly. So it's a pretty quick read to find out what Bridges is about. So over the years, we've had a lot of communities that have worked at the individual level and at the organizational level. So how do you really uh, work with a community or talk with somebody in a community who's interested in taking that next step of working at the policy level within the, in the community? Well, we're going to uh, be in Toledo next week and we have a, a series of uh, events with them with different or different uh, committees and groups and we're going to be working towards uh, you know what it takes to have a briefing book 
uh, and go through a whole process with them. And we're also going to be on on uh, television. We'll take getting at graduates with us uh, for those interviews. And we'll be boosting the work that Toledo already does. And they're a very accomplished uh, site, but uh, they're also at a place where they want to have more influence at higher and higher levels of policy. And so we'll be there to kind of talk through this with one group after another. And you know, some of them at different levels of depth of, of understanding of these things. Uh, one will be with policymakers in, in the city and county. And it helps because in Toledo, um, the catalyst there is um, Pete Gherkin and Polly Gherkin. And Pete is a county commissioner. So uh, there's buy-in you know, from, from the structural legislative sort of side of the world there too. But this is about uh, doing more than just Toledo. It's about getting to the state too. Yeah. And you always want to remember that it's about more than just having, um, you know, uh, two middle-aged guys with wonderful goatees coming in and talking to you about how you do things, right, Phil? Yes. That what you want to do is this is one of the beauties. This is one of the key things that opened my eyes up when I first interviewed Phil about this several years ago. Now, um, has been that it's getting all three classes at the table, and that what we so often do is that it's the middle class, you know, who sit there and go, "Well, we think it'll work this way. We think it'll work this way." And we don't sit down and ask those people who are in poverty, hi, what's important to you? What do you see as the pathways? And I think that's one of the things that when you, when you go through the book, we're uh, very respectful of those voices. And when you see at the very end of the book, we talk a little bit about a Tocqueville meeting, which is a way to kind of reestablish and get back to what it is that the founding fathers envisioned and that was the natural way of America, how we all worked. Um, now, in America, we no longer know people who are not like us. Um, the, um, up until 50 years ago, the bank janitor and the bank president lived three blocks away from each other. And they would um, you know, go to the same church there. They would go to the same grocery store. The kids all went to the same school. And you had all this soft capital connection going on. So when the, when the child of the janitor needed a recommendation to go to the bank president's school, college for, an, and for a uh, scholarship, the bank president could gladly write one because there was that amount of social interaction. Now we all live um, in um, uh, housing uh, developments, often you know very strictly regimented by income. All the houses are now built within a very narrow range. That income range is driven largely by educational range. So everybody thinks alike. Everybody has the same value structure. And it's making it difficult for us now to begin to come together in a city, county, state, or in America and begin to talk about the issues that we are all facing in a way that recognizes the perspective of those who are not like us, whoever we are at that point in time. And the book goes into that. So I think that's one of the key things that the book, I think, can really help in a lot of these situations that we're facing. Susan Kemp is asking for a copy of a briefing book. And I think, Jean, you can send her one from your past. Yes. Um, yes. So uh, we can give you Susan's uh, email address. Yeah. So Susan, we'll get that to you. And, and then again, here in Ohio, we're beginning to work on one for criminal justice reform. And when I was saying that we were running uh, focus groups, that's going to be the beginning of it because we start by listening to uh, getting head graduates that have been in prison. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, uh, following up on what Jean was saying, uh, in our book, we talk about interviews that we did with Bridges sites and, and this whole idea of crossing every divide. Uh, we can make that case because in getting head groups, there are people from all races and, and backgrounds. And, and so when we're all together, we're coming from those different sectors and we're coming from different racial backgrounds and economic class. And we would ask the people we interviewed, when you start working on the barriers that people experience that, that are in getting ahead and trying to, you know, trying to work their plans, 
when you're dealing with those issues, does it kick off the narratives of the left and right? And I'm sure you all know what I mean by those narratives. And every single site that we asked that question during those interviews, the, their answer to that was no, it does not kick, the, kick off those barriers, those narratives that we've got going in this country that are so divisive. So we are in a sense, uh, you know, seeing communities that are healthier, they, they have better interactions with each other. And when you have a really bri big bridges initiative going, it's having that kind of an impact on the city county level. What this reminds me of is we have a chapter whose title is Extending Your Ear to Listen. And um, that phrase came from uh, Brie Lushik, who is a former uh, aide to a state representative here in Ohio who was very helpful uh, to Phil and myself in getting uh, Phil's methodology, the Getting Ahead uh, program, um, disseminated amongst many of the decision makers in Ohio's capital um, and the state house. And but I think that extending an ear to listen uh, frame is an effective one for us to remember at all points in time as you begin to develop policy. Um, when we used it with Bree, it was about, you know, she, she was advising us on how, how we have a whole chapter in there on the care and feeding of staff for the uh, elected officials. But I think that the extending an ear to listen uh, is not a bad metaphor to use as to how we approach it with other people, uh, with elected officials. And when you sit down with elected officials, just don't tell them, here's my problem, okay? Listen to find out what their problems are. And so you understand then how your programs that you have, your your facilitations, your classes that you have can begin to help solve certain ones of their problems. It's not just about you telling them, but you need to listen to them too. And uh, they all have a different way to look at it. It, it. In the absence of listening, the elected officials resort to their ideology. They'll just pull an ideology out of their hip pocket from the right, from the left, from somewhere else, and they'll just say, this is all I can go on. I need to do something, and this is my ideology. I'm going to stick with it. Your duty and obligation is by extending that ear to listen to them is to begin to come up with a different way for them to also approach, but for you to begin to approach them. All right, thank you very much. Um, for any of you out there, if it would be helpful for Phil and Jean to come to your community, you can contact ahaprocess.com to um, find out the details behind that and what Jean and Phil would do while they are with you. Uh, if both of you would type your email addresses into the chat, I think that would be very helpful. We appreciate your time with us. We do these uh, complimentary webinars the first and the third week on Thursdays of every month. And we will send the recording to um, you next week as well so that you can use that and pass it around as you would like. I will mention that topics like this and others done by practitioners are at our annual conference every year. This year, it's September 22nd through 24th in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we would love to have you there. Call for Presenters is currently open, and if you're sharing a best practice, please uh, check that out on our website as well and, and, and submit a topic. So we thank each of you for your participation, and we look forward to hearing from you what you are doing in your communities and continuing building this community of practice among each other. So have a good day. Stay safe and dry this winter. And thank you for joining us. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.